everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. Two weeks ago, I announced we would launch a season uh, called Simple Theology. Last week, I spent two days studying for that season. I read about 250 pages of dense theological literature. And I, I really, in my flesh, I wanted to go into that season. I've been planning it for a while. Ask Nate. He does our graphics. He designed them like mid-last year and kept pausing, kept pausing. We weren't there. Began preparation on Tuesday morning for this 13-week season that we were going to go into. And it was just not there. Couldn't find where the Lord wanted us to go. So then I said, okay, Lord, uh, I'm going to commit this, this to you. Probably what I should have done in the very beginning. Uh, where are our people and what do we need right now? And something really cool happened. There are passages of Scripture that you need to experience to really understand what God is saying, and this is one of them. So mid-2020, stay-at-home orders, groups of 10 or less, churches completely online, and I'm praying one day and I'm saying, Lord, what on earth are we going to do? Like, what, what does the future look like for us, for the church? I need a word from you. And I read Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Let me read this verse to you. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So I read that and I was like, wow, that's a great promise. Thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, I got in my truck. I drove to my office and I park at the very back parking lot of our office. And there's a fence line there and there's a lot of brush and a lot of trees. And I got out of my truck and it was as if the Lord was saying, I don't want you to just read this. I want you to experience this. And so I got out of my truck and there's a gazillion birds flying around. They're tweeting. They're chirping. They're, they're doing bird things, whatever birds do. And there was this fence. And this is kind of just ironic, but this fence was covered in uh, white paste, if you will, right? And it was obvious that the birds had been eating, and I saw that fence, and I had that promise, and the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart, if the birds are eating, so am I. And I remember saying that. I was standing in the middle of the parking lot, and I saw those birds, and I had this promise, and I said, you know what? I may not know what on earth is going on, but I do know this much. If those birds are eating, so am I. Come on, you've got more to you than that. If the birds are eating, so are you. The Lord's going to take care of you. He promises in his word. Some of you need to experience that. You need to walk out into that parking garage and see those nasty pigeons in every little corner and crevice of that parking garage. And you need to remind yourself that those birds are eating. The Lord is caring for those birds. He's providing them food. And you are far more valuable than they. Will the Lord not care for you if he takes care of a bunch of birds? And so I had that promise, and I clung to that promise. Fast forward to last week, Tuesday. Park, get out of my truck, and I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, what on earth do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to, to receive as a church? And these birds are right there in front of my truck. They're right there on the fence line. They always, I'm thankful I have a white truck because you can't tell most of the time, but they're eating, trust me. These birds are eating, and I saw it, and the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. What we need now more than anything, is to remind ourselves the birds are eating. We need to remember that the birds are eating. 
And if the birds are eating, so am I. In fact, we've been on this call and response a little well. And it's, it's a new season that we're entering into. You know every season has a mantra, right? Our mantra for this season is if the birds are eating, so am I. So I need your help here to know that you're going to buy into this season. I'm going to give you if the birds are eating. And you need to let me know with faith that you believe that promise that you're going to be eating too. Hey, if those birds out there got full bellies, you're going to have a full belly as well. If the birds are eating, come on one more time. If the birds are eating, put it in the chat if you're online. If the birds are eating, you got weaker on that third one. We need a fourth one just to know we're ready. If the birds are eating, receive that promise today. Don't walk in worry. Don't walk in fear. Don't walk in anxiety. Know that those birds are eating, and that's a promise to me every time I see those things. I love birds now. I was not a bird guy, right? But now I, I remember sitting with my grandma at her kitchen table. She'd drink a cup of coffee, and she loved to watch the hummingbirds eat. She had that red Kool-Aid that she feeds them right in a feeder, and it was right outside of her window. She'd sit there for hours and drink a cup of coffee and watch those bzzz, you know, really, really fast. She'd watch the birds eat. Now I'm thinking about getting me a hummingbird feeder because I just need to remind myself the birds are eating. The birds are eating, and so am I. So how do we get to that place? Where we're headed, I'll tell you the, the end goal, the end vision, is a worry-free, promise-filled faith. We're going to live worry-free, promise-filled, that the birds are eating, and so am I. But I started asking myself, what do we need to do to get there? And I'll tell you um, a really unique place where I landed this week. And I've, I've preached this message like 15, 20 times uh, everywhere but here. And, and here's, what I, here's what I truly sense. I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he asked me the question. He said, what on earth is going on with people right now? Like, what, what do you think is, go, it's just two pastors on a Tuesday solving the world's problems, right? It's like, what on earth do you think is up with people right now? And I told him, I said, more than anything, it feels like people are mourning the loss of something. Everybody. It is across the board. It feels like we're, we're headed to a memorial service or a celebration of life where it's like every week we're mourning the loss. Maybe we're mourning the loss of an election or we're mourning the loss of somebody getting killed or we're mourning the loss of sickness or we're mourning the loss of losing somebody to a virus or we're mourning the loss of normalcy or we're mourning the loss of our daily rhythm. Maybe we're mourning the loss of what school in a classroom used to look like, or we're mourning the loss of, of what used to be. I don't know what it is, but what I continually encounter with everybody that I talk to is they're mourning a loss. Some way, somehow, there is a loss that has happened. And here's what I believe. I believe for us to get to a worry-free, promise-filled faith. We need to have a memorial service for what you lost in 2020. Oh, come on. Who doesn't want to have a funeral for 2020? Right? Who does not want to have a funeral for 2020? 
We're, we're mourning the loss of something, and, and we have to figure out how we mourn that loss so we can move into a new season. One of the things, I've done a, a ton of funerals. I've been in ministry 14 years. I've done the funeral of, I, I spoke at my grandpa's funeral. I did my own father's funeral. I've done a funeral for a man who lost his wife to cancer. I've done a funeral for a couple that lost their six-week-old child, probably the most difficult. I remember standing at a grave side with a, with a box that had a baby's life in it and mom and dad numb, just standing there lifeless with no, no, no idea how to even communicate. I remember uh, I did my own father's funeral. I, I did my own dad's. I remember just all of the emotion, all of the loss, all of the grief. I've done my own dad's. I, I remember speaking at Bobby Walls, who's a dear friend of mine. We were first starting off the church right before we launched. I remember speaking at Bobby Walls Memorial Service. I remember Mr. Tom, who beat cancer multiple times and doing his funeral and speaking his. And I remember those moments. And, and here is what I have seen across the board with memorial, celebration of life, funeral, whatever you want to say. How you respond to the loss determines your future trajectory. The way you respond to what you have lost will determine largely where your life goes in the future. And if you don't know how to deal with it, if you don't know how to process it, if you don't know how to overcome it, it can leave your future stuck. So here's what I want to do. I want to preach to you my funeral message, my go-to funeral outline. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take whatever it is that you feel like you've lost. I want you to take whatever it is you feel like you're grieving the loss of. And my heart breaks for some people who you lost a family member to the coronavirus and you weren't even able to go to their funeral because of traveling and social distancing and everything else being shut down. And maybe you need to truly have a memorial service to grieve a loss today. Maybe you need to come to a place of closure with that today. Maybe for some of you, it is just, for me, I am, I am grieving the loss of my routine, of what I thought life was like and what I thought was normal. I'm, I'm grieving the loss. Whatever the grief may be, whatever the loss may be, we have to deal with that before we can move into the worry-free, promise-filled faith that the Lord has for us. Are you ready to have a memorial service? Second Samuel 12, 13-23. I absolutely love this passage when it deals with loss. It says, Therefore David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Verse 15, after Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Verse 18, then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. Listen to this. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. He was totally 
irrational. He would not receive any. That's what that word means. He was totally irrational. He would not receive. He would not listen. He refused to listen to reason. I always, people always ask me, how do I know if someone's grieving unhealthy? They refuse to listen. They refuse to listen to people that love them. They refuse to listen to people that care for them. They refuse to hear anything from anybody. They refuse to listen to it. He said he would not listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? Verse 19, when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Verse 20, look at this. This is incredible. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. Verse 22, David replied, this is where the life's at. I fasted and wept while the child was alive. And I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? Here's your promise. I will go to him one day. But he cannot return to me. So in Conroe, I was a pastor on staff for a while, and we had this time of prayer during worship that we would do every now and then, where during the last two songs of worship, we would open up the altar and we would let people come up and receive prayer. And I was a pastor on staff who prayed for people, and I was standing there, and they were, they were coming up and praying. And there was this one moment I remember in particular, this little girl uh, was coming up with her mom. And I mean, she was broken. She had tears streaming down her face. She was weeping. Her mom was comforting her, and they walked her up to the front, and I received her, and I could just sense the pain and the hurt. And I said, sweetheart, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And she said, please pray for our family. We lost somebody last week. And I said, who did you lose? And she said, Baxter. We lost Baxter to cancer. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she just weeped. And I said, how can I pray? And she said, well, Baxter knew Jesus. So I know that Baxter will be in heaven one day. But can you just pray for us? We're hurting so deeply. And she just started weeping again. And I said, absolutely. I said, you know, I'm going to turn this thing around right now. And I, I mean, I prayed down Shekinah glory on that place, right? I was like, Lord, you are the God who heals. You're the God who restores. And you're the God of everlasting life. And we know Baxter's with you. And because Baxter's with you, we know that we'll be with him one day. And there will be a glorious reunion. So heal right now. Give us grace right now. Give us hope right now. Give us life right now. Because we know that you are the God. God who rose to life so that we can rise to new life. And I was, amen. And boy, she was beaming again. She was fired up and the mom was excited. So they left. And after church, the mom came to me and she said, I just want you to know you have no idea what that meant for my daughter. And I said, oh, okay, really? And she said, yeah, she has not slept for weeks. She hasn't been eating for weeks. And nobody really will acknowledge or understand what she's going through. But your prayers meant the world to her. And I said, man, I am so honored to do it. And she said, yeah. said, she's had Baxter since he was a puppy. And she's been, and I, I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. 
I said, tell me that again. She said, oh, yeah. She said, she had, he's the best golden retriever that we ever had. She said, we had Baxter when he was a puppy. And, he, and I was like, Mom, you could have given me a hint, you know, before I, before I started praying for a glorious heavenly reunion between the dog and the daughter, right? I didn't know. But, but I, then I realized something. I realized that grief is real. I realized that grief is real. And it doesn't matter necessarily what you're grieving over. I used to be someone who would judge somebody based upon what they're going through and whether or not they should be grieving. Oh, we're talking about a dog here? To a nine-year-old, that's losing a family member. To a nine-year-old, that's not sleeping. That's not eating. And to a nine-year-old who hadn't dealt with that grief, they're staying up all night. They're not eating food. They're not sleeping well. But when a nine-year-old learns how to deal with that grief, they learn how to heal. They learn how to move through it. Then all of a sudden, I would see her at church. And, boy, I was her favorite person, right? I prayed for her and her puppy and everyone else. Man, she laughing, smiling, full of life. Here's what I'm saying to you. You have to deal with grief. You have to deal with loss. And it doesn't matter what it is as much as it does how you're dealing with it. So let's walk through this with David. And oh my goodness, we have really got to get moving. Number one, four points. I added an extra one. I was out for a week, right? i got to make up for lost time. First thing that we have to do if we're going to grieve a loss if we're going to overcome, if we're going to walk away from this thing as a champion with closure, is we have to realize what has happened. We cannot live in denial. We cannot act like it doesn't exist. I love Romans. I think it's 4.17. Paul says, we don't call things that aren't as though they are. In other words, we don't make things up in our mind. We don't call things that aren't as though they are. We call things that are as though they aren't. So, hey, this is real. But God is faithful. God's going, it's not, oh, this never happened. I, I don't even know what we're talking about here. I, I'm not sick. I just have symptoms. And I'm sneezing and bleeding and everything else all over the place. No, I'm sick, but God's going to heal me. That's calling what it is as though it isn't. Not calling what isn't as though it is. So he says, he has to realize what has happened. You have to realize you can't live in denial about what you have gone through. 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 19. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him he won't listen to reason while the child was ill. What crazy thing is he going to do now? David was irrational when he was going through the pain. He would not listen. He would not receive him. What happened? Verse 19. When David saw them whispering, that word for realize, it's a powerful Hebrew word meaning to wake up. So it says not just that he realized in a casual way, but he realized in an internal way. He woke up to what had happened. He came alive to what reality was in the moment. When David saw them whispering, he woke up to what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. When David was irrational, he couldn't deal with anything. When he became rational, when he awoken and realized what has happened, he started to heal. You know you cannot heal what you're not willing to acknowledge, right? You cannot heal what you're not willing to acknowledge. So what happened in your childhood or what happened in that relationship or what has happened to you a couple weeks ago, if you don't acknowledge it, you can't heal it. 
That's where David was. He was unwilling to acknowledge it. And then when he was finally willing to awaken to it, the healing process began. Uh, was it yesterday? Oh, Anna's not here. She probably got the baby. I think it was either, oh good, then I can really tell the story how it was. Uh, it was either yesterday or Friday. I can't remember, but um, my son, he's in this mode where he's picking fights with me all the time. Dude's coming up behind me, and he is just, he's punching me. He's hitting me with stuff, and I'm telling him, brother, you come messing with the bull, you're going to get the horns, right? Like, you better, you better watch who you're picking a fight with, and so I'm standing here, and he comes up behind me. He just punching me in the back. He's punching me. I said, don't, dude, don't. I'm doing something right now. Punches me again. And so, listen, don't email me about this. This is not as it seems, right? <laughs> you got to teach a boy to be a man every now and then. So, I, I did not kick my son, right? I lifted up my foot and I just kind of pushed him back off me, right? He's just punching me, and I had my hands full, and I was like, dude, stop. And so I, I kind of just, just gave him a little, a little love nudge, right? A little Holy Spirit, a little touch of the good stuff. And right when I did, this was all him. He trips over his own feet, stumbles backwards, falls into the bed, and starts screaming, and Mama Bear catches it out of the side of her eyes. What does Mama Bear do? Come on, man, you've been through this before. What did you do to him? What did you do to that poor boy? I said, I didn't do anything, and he screams through bloody tears. He kicked me, Mom! I said, I did. She said, what hurts, baby? And he said, my back. Daddy kicked me. My back hurts. And she picks him up and she sets him on and she lifts up the back of his shirt. And she says, oh, Luke, you really did kick him. I said, what do you mean? She said, he's got a foot mark on his back. I said, I pushed him in the chest. My foot, like, can we just be realistic for a moment? Like, can I just explain to you what happened? I gave him a little, little nudge in the front. It's not on his back, and he's oh, daddy trying to kill me. Like, All right. So it's bath time. I take him upstairs. We get to the bath, and I said, hey, why do you do that? And he said, because mommy freaks out every time. <laughs> I said, literally, why, why do you scream and yell and cry and do all that? He said, because mommy freaks out every single time. And I went down to Anna, and I said, hey, babe, uh, I just want to fill you in on something. You know, he's just doing that because you're the one who reacts to it. She was like, yeah. And I said, you know, I didn't kick him in the back, right? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, you know, there was no footprint, right? And she's like, well, there was a red mark. But I'm, and I was like, listen. And she said, look, I'm sorry I wasn't thinking straight. The boy was hurt, and I'm sorry. And then guess what? He got in trouble for picking a fight with me, right? Mama's like, come here, boy. You're going to keep messing with your daddy. But uh, what I'm telling you is this. When we're, when we're not thinking rationally, when we're just out of, when we're not willing to realize what has actually happened, we can't heal. The first step to healing for David was realizing what had actually happened. Can I tell you something? The first step to healing for you, maybe to actually realize what happened in 2020. May not be to just suppress it, to reject it, to forget about it, but to realize what had happened. Maybe it is from your childhood to realize this actually did happen. Maybe it's from a loss that you suffered, that you have just been unwilling to deal with it. The fastest way around the pain is denial, and I don't want to deal with it. Maybe it is the first step is being willing to say, this really did 
happen. Now what? David takes us there. I love verse 20. We'll break it into three parts, and I'll spend three minutes per part. 2 Samuel 12, verse 20 says, Then David, what did he do? What do you do when you're willing to realize what has actually happened? He got up from the ground, he washed himself, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. David got up and got going. He got up and he got going. If there is one word that I think the Lord has for me right now in the season that I'm in is to Luke, get up and get going. Get up and get going. Quit waiting on this or quit waiting on that or quit finding every reason to stop and just get it going. I have a friend who says all the time, don't get it right, just get it going. Do something. Let this be a word for you. How do you overcome what you have lost? Just get up and get going again. Get moving again. Let life begin to fill your bones again. Don't stay stuck. Whatever you do, don't stay stuck. I, I tell you a funny story, um, and I, I did this a lot. So my family, we, we have a rule on Saturdays in our home. Saturday is kind of prepare for Sunday, sermon prep day. And our agreement is this. I will, uh, I will spend every waking moment that our family is together engaged in family time. Here's what they give me in exchange. 5 a.m. to when everybody wakes up, I get about two hours of study time. Nap time from 1 to 3, and at 7 p.m., I go to my office, and I shut it all down, and we get to, I get to spend that time in study. So I get about six hours on a Saturday. We have this rule. And there are times where I'll go on a Saturday, and I'll try to start studying, and I just, I'm not there. I, it's been a long day, it's been a long Saturday, and I know I need this time, and I have this trick that I do. I will go downstairs, I will shower, I will shave, and I'll put on my favorite outfit. Usually something black on black, right? I will go down, I'll shower, I'll shave, I'll put on an outfit, I'll go back up to my room, and it doesn't matter how I feel, what I've ate, or anything like that. It wakes me up. It gets me going again. That's what David is doing here. I realize what has happened. Now I'm going to get up and get going again. What do you need to get up and get going with again? Maybe it's going to church. Maybe church online, it's just get up and go, go back in church. Maybe it's praying and reading your Bible. Maybe it's worshiping again. Maybe it's spending time with, the, what, what do you need to awaken within you that has stopped because of what you have gone through? Man, that's a great question to ask ourselves, right? What do I need to awaken in me and start doing again that has gone to sleep because of what I've gone through, either the past year or what happened to me years ago? In fact, that's kind of where David goes in 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. He gets up, he gets it going, and then what does he do? The first place he goes is to the tabernacle to worship. 2 Samuel 12, verse 20, it says, He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. He went to the place and he said, Lord, I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I know I've gone through a loss. I realize what has happened. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get going. And the first thing that I'm going to do is worship you. I think I need to remind you all of something. It's been popping into my mind over and over. I, sometimes I intentionally tell the same story over and over because I think it's good for us to live through the history of God's faithfulness so we can promise and we can trust Him in our future. 
when we got into this building um, way, 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 way back. In fact, we moved into the old LSC, but the way we got in here is pretty unique. Some of you, you already know this story. Um, when we were first preparing to come to Huntsville, we were trying to rent a building from Huntsville ISD. From, we were trying to rent the high school. And, man, I was feeling good about it. I thought God had called us to rent the high school. I thought it was his plan. of like, yes, Lord, you want us to be in that high school. I know that's the building for us. And so we presented this packet. We put this packet together. And, man, we had the, every school district neighboring Huntsville ISD, 13 of them, all rent out their buildings to churches. It's just easy, free income for them. Huntsville's the only one that didn't. So we put together this package. We had it all ready. The assistant superintendent, he's not there anymore. The, the superintendent, he's not there anymore. And we put this package together for them, and they presented it to the school board, and they went to vote on it. And listen, I'm not bitter about any of this that has happened. I mean, I know the people who voted no, and I got this, like, picture of them in my office with a red marker, and I'm, you know, I, no, no. Listen, honestly, I don't care. I, I'm so grateful because the Lord let us hear but you need to hear how this happened because it matches what David did in this moment. So we go to the school board meeting, and of course, it's packed. It's the biggest school board meeting of the year, right? They do all their awards, they're good teacher, they're good student, blah, blah, blah. There's usually like 15 people there, and there's a couple hundred people packed in this room. And of course, I think God's showing off, right? I'm like, oh, God, he's just, he has it up for vote at the largest school meeting of the year, so everybody knows that we're coming to town. I'm walking through that thing cadillac I'm like, hey, how are you? How are you? Good to meet you. Good to see you. I had the principal of the school, of the high school at the time, come and say, man, I'm so excited for you all to be in our building. I think it's going to be great. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's going to be awesome. And they said, okay, it was the last item on the agenda. It comes up on the agenda. They push it to vote, and it gets, I mean, the the moment it's brought up, I'm like, rain down, Lord. And they say, absolutely not. First person, we're not in the leasing business, absolutely not. I was like, wait a second. Did I just hear that right? And then it goes to vote four to two, one abstain. Like I told you, I know exactly who these brothers are, right? No, they, they voted down. It gets shot down. And I mean, it was, it was like air taken out of my lungs loss. I had teachers coming up to me like, hey, is the church still going to come to Huntsville? That was pretty intense. Like, I don't know if, if you guys are going to you know, be here or not. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I was heartbroken over it getting shut down. So what do you do when you're heartbroken and you, you don't know what to do? Go to Taco Bell. You've heard it. I love it. I went to Taco Bell. It's exactly what it was. It was like 8.30 at night, and I was like, I'm eating my feelings right now. I'm going to Taco Bell. I went into the one over there close to Starbucks, pulled up there. I ordered like $14 in Taco Bell food. Do you know what it comes with $14 at Taco Bell food? You can feed an army with 14 bucks at Taco Bell, right? Some of you college kids are like, yeah, 14 to feed my whole apartment. So I, I go and I get all this Taco Bell and I had a Nacho Bell Grande. And I mean, to, for this meeting, I had gotten a brand new shirt. I had it dry clean and steam pressed and I was looking fresh. And I had this Nacho Bell Grande and I was driving down. And I was just so upset. I was brokenhearted. And as I was getting ready to get on the feeder, some whack job in this jacked up diesel truck comes flying down. And as he's flying down, black smoke's billowing up, and I'm trying to do the whole eat a chip, drive with your knee, pay attention a little bit, and he comes, I, I swerved really quick, and I dumped the entire Nacho Belgrande on the front of my chest. Literally, I had nacho cheese and squirrel meat just running down, right? I was covered in this stuff. It was so gross, and, and then I was like, you know what? This is what I deserve right now. 
I hear you, God. I deserve to be, I didn't even, I did not even wipe it off. I was like, I will just drive home with nachos on me. I don't want another thing of food. I don't want to hear anything the rest of the night. And I was upset. I was frustrated. I was covered in nachos. And then I kid you not, something happened. And it's something the Lord happened. My Bluetooth, it's the craziest thing in the world. My Bluetooth connected to my cell phone and started automatically playing this worship song. And, and Philip, do we have it queued up? Can you play just a second of it? This is the song that came on. Hit it real good. Yeah. That's good. I get, I get choked up listening to that because it takes me to that moment where I thought, what are we going to do? I don't know. We just got rejected. We just got denied. I, literally, I can remember driving down 45, covered in nachos, frustrated and crying and worshiping at the same time. And look at what God has done. Look at how faithful God is. But what did we do? We worshiped. That's why we're a worshiping church. So I'm so passionate about us being a worshiping church because worship took us from no to no to no to no to yes and amen. Worship did that for us. That's where we have to take our spirit. We realize what has happened. We get up. We get it going again. And then we force ourselves to worship. And then we'll land here, 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. After that... He returned to the palace and was served food and ate. He started doing what he had stopped. He just started doing it again. He went back in. He started eating. And then let me, let me give you uh, my favorite part. Here's our promise. This is where we're landing. 2 Samuel 12, 21 through 23. It says, His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you. They told him, <clears throat> while the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? Cling to this. Cling to this. If you're, if you're a parent in here and you've lost a child, I can't think of a better verse to cling to. If you've experienced loss in any way, I can't think of a better verse to wrap our spirit around. 2 Samuel 12 verse 23. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Horatio Spafford is a, a man. He was born 1828 in New York. He became a very successful attorney. He owned a ton of land in New York City, became an extremely wealthy man. He was married to his wife, whose name was Anna, and he had Anna, right? Isn't that a great wife's name? He's married to Anna. He had four daughters, and he was extremely successful, had everything in the world that you could possibly want. He was also a faithful follower of Jesus. And in 1873, he decided to take a family vacation to England. 
he had some business that was pending that held him up. So he sent his family ahead of him and he told them to go. And air travel wasn't a thing at the time. So they were traveling by ship. The name of the ship was the Villa du Havre. And on November 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship, the Villa du Havre, their vessel was struck by an iron sailing ship. 226 people lost their lives as the Villa du Havre sank within only 12 minutes. All four of his daughters died. His wife was miraculously saved, found unconscious, floating on a piece of wood. She was taken and rescued to South Wales where she sent a telegram to Spafford that said, Saved Alone. Spafford immediately decided to reunite with his wife, so he got on a ship, and on one particular day on the voyage, the captain called Spafford up, and he showed him the charts, and he told him on the charts, this is the very location where the Villa du Havre was struck and where your daughters drowned. This was the very place where it happened. Horatio Spafford went down to his cabin, and when he got to his cabin, he took a pen and a paper, and he immediately began to pen what we know today as the hymn, It Is Well. Listen to what he wrote here. Think think about this for a moment, given the context. He wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio and his wife Anna were asked later as they were speaking to a congregation. He said, hey, how how did you come about processing this loss and getting to a place where it is well? And he immediately spoke up and he said, we decided never to be a fair weather friend of God. We decided whether it's good or whether it's bad, we're going to be great and our soul will rest in him. And his wife spoke up and she said something profound. She said, God gave me four daughters and now they've been taken. But one day I'll go to be with them. Our hope rests in one day. Our life rests in the promise of one day. I was sitting at a coffee table this past week talking to my 91-year-old grandma And she said, Luke, people overestimate this life. People put far too much value on this life. We're living for one day. We're living with the promise that how can we have peace like a river? How can we declare in our soul that it is well? How can we overcome loss, overcome tragedy, continue to worship and live in God's promises? Because one day, not this day, but one day, we'll be reunited with him again. That's our hope. That's our promise. As we walk through 2021, we live for one day. We know that one day our king is either going to come or we'll be reunited with him. And that's where our hope and that's where our truth and that's where our rest lies. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life and we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith. Have a great week.